You're listening to Reframed, the Power of Perspective podcast, and I'm your host, Carly Marquier. As both a Christian counselor and communicator, I want to equip you with the tools and truths that renew your mind and empower your soul. As we explore popular topics influencing our perspectives, I want to offer practical techniques for reframing unhealthy thinking patterns and provide step-by-step pathways for emotional and spiritual health. You know, this process of untangling our automatic thoughts and attitudes is not always easy, but thankfully God's word gives us instruction on how to reframe our thoughts, renew our minds, and redeem our perspectives in light of the gospel. It is this framework we will use to dispute discouragement, eliminate emotional reasoning, and empower our pursuit of abundant life. So are you ready? Let us explore our current perspectives, expose distortions we have come to believe, and grow deeper in our understanding of God's transforming power. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Reframed. I'm excited to be jumping into episode three of this series on mental health. On today's episode, I've entitled Mental Illness, Medication, and the Heart of God. And so something that I think is so important about navigating the complexity of mental health care and mental health medication and treatment is really understanding from a medical perspective and from a clinical perspective what's actually going on because I don't think we can look at this topic and the complexity of mental health care and treatment with a limited perspective or a limited view, right? So for instance, like we've talked about in other episodes and other episodes to come is that this idea of looking at scripture and saying, well, it doesn't say mental illness in scripture, so therefore mental illness does not exist. That's a very limited view of applied theology. And so we really have to broaden our perspective and educate ourselves, understanding from a clinical perspective what mental health distress looks like, um, the diagnoses, and why we even use diagnostic materials, and how that informs our treatment of that disorder or that distress that someone is experiencing. And so I'm going to put on the therapist hat a little bit longer today, um, but I also want to tie this back to scripture because the whole point of this entire series is reframing our thoughts and our perspectives on mental health by looking through the lens of God's word and the heart of God. And so I'm hoping that we can get both education and encouragement from scripture through this episode. So let's just jump right in. I want to give you guys some education and some understanding on what mental illness is. We use this term pretty frequently, but it oftentimes gets associated with mental health. So when I say mental health, we're talking about the broader picture, right? The definition that we've used from the beginning of this series is that mental health is a part of our whole being. It includes our physical, emotional, and psychological, social well-being, and it impacts the way we think and feel and act in uh, relationships. So mental illness is when our mental health is not well. In a broader perspective, any sort of disruption, whether that be physical or emotional, is a picture and a description of our brokenness. And I talk to clients about this all the time because we know that right when we label something, it becomes um, part of who we are, right? So people will say, well, I'm I have anxiety, or I'm bipolar, or oh, they're narcissistic, or they have a personality disorder, or they're autistic. And we're throwing out all these terms and labels uh, specifically when it comes to mental health, and that's somehow defining us. And labels 
are dangerous for so many reasons, right? When we look back to scripture, and we've talked about this, and I'll continue to say it again and again, our identity is found in being a child of God. When we add anything else to that underlying foundation of who we are, it can become really distorted. And then we start seeing ourselves differently. We start seeing other people differently. We are all human, right? And so we all have to look through the lens of our physical bodies, both physically and emotionally, are broken in different ways. And so maybe my brokenness is not the same as your brokenness. And my weaknesses are maybe not your weaknesses. But if we can look at this from a holistic perspective, it takes away the judgment and fears. And it allows us to know people as another human soul. And that is God's heart, right? And so I think what can happen when we discuss this idea of mental illness um, especially in Christian circles, we can start being judgmental. We can start not looking at people through the lens of beloved children of God, made in God's image, designed and created for good works. So this is the lens that I'm hoping that we can take with this discussion today, is that you and I, the people around us, every human being is made in the image of God and therefore has intrinsic worth and value And their brokenness is diverse and unique. Um, But what we know to be true is that brokenness, because of Christ, will be redeemed. And so there is hope in this story for both of us, for all of us. There is hope in this story for all of us that our brokenness will be redeemed, whether that is an experience of trauma that has now impacted our mental health, or maybe that is just the way we were born, and we ask God all the time, why? Why is this my suffering? Why is this my struggle? Why do I have this diagnosis? We're going to be asking that question our entire lives, and I say this to clients all of the time, but something that Lisa Turker said in one of her books, I think it was, it's not supposed to be this way. She likened this question, why, in a beautiful allegory she wrote at the end of the book, to the way that we connect with other people. And I think that is so powerful because when I ask the question why and I sit with other people within my therapy work and they ask the question why, I can say to them, yes, I get it because I ask that question too. And so it becomes a collective experience and we don't feel alone anymore. So let's not look at labels, but let's understand why we have criteria and then what the treatment is for that and again, what God's heart is behind all of this. So I want to start with the idea of symptoms versus disorders. And this is comes straight out of DSM criteria. When we are looking at the, the diagnostic criteria for a mental health disorder, we're looking for impairment. And so a lot of times people can say, you know, I have an anxiety disorder or I have depression or I have this, I have that. And what I oftentimes encourage people to do is what my pastor has said multiple times is we need to right size this. I love that. We can take it really, really extreme. And then our view of ourselves and our view of our mental health, et cetera, can be really, really negative. And so when you're looking at you know, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, you know, patterns of behavior that could be concerning, we have to ask the question, what is my impairment level? And so maybe this is for you, maybe this is, um, you're thinking about this in relation to your relationships in your life, but disorders are impairment in various capacities. So this would be affecting your job and your relationships and maybe uh, 
you know, your family, if you have one, maybe it's affecting your education, your ability to maybe wake up and eat, sleep, do the basic necessities, right? So that would be what we consider severe um, and more apt to be diagnosed as a disorder. Symptoms of, though, can happen, right? I can have symptoms of anxiety. I can have symptoms of depression. It can be related to adjustment or relational issues. And so being able to kind of understand the severity of symptoms and the diagnostic criteria for those is really important before we jump to conclusions or we start labeling ourselves. And I think we all experience this. We want to go on Google and like research our symptoms and clients will come to me and be like, I think I have this. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, like, tell me why you think that because I read it on Google and these were the symptoms. And so we have to be really careful with, again, going back and looking at checking these boxes. This is this is me. This is who I am. And we all know it's not a great idea to go on WebMD, right? We have to be able to acknowledge, yes, I'm having these symptoms and maybe they're becoming more severe. And that is not a point of shame. It's more of a point of what am I going to do to get support through this? And I think that is a beautiful mind shift to have because I think in our culture, specifically in more conservative cultures, we look at distress or emotional impairment and maybe even mental illness or diagnosis of a mental illness as such a shaming thing. And it's just the reality of our brokenness as human beings. And so it's different for everybody. And being able to normalize that I think is so important both for us individually and then collectively as we go out into the world, into the workplace to be able to combat the cultural stigma with love and compassion and understanding and normalizing the fact that we're all human. In addition to this understanding of the DSM, I want to talk about specifically um, the challenge that comes with specific diagnoses and maybe give you just a little bit of background. So if you listen to episode one of the series on mental health, you'll know that I already quoted some of these statistics, but I'm going to quote them again because I think they're important to understand and to have just some education behind things. You know, one in five people have mental health um, concerns. So that would be a distress or that would be a diagnosis or that would be maybe a mental illness. Um, But that's a lot of people, right? And so when we think about one in five at some time in their life, and this can be very subjective, we have to acknowledge that this is, in fact, the state of our brokenness. So I want to, with this knowledge, allow us to understand some mental health diagnoses and their relation to scripture in light of what we see through scripture and the mentions in scripture of mental health. And so first, a major depressive disorder is the most common mental health disorder in the United States. But depression in a general sense is kind of like an umbrella term. And then underneath that criteria, we have different types of depression. So for instance, we have major depressive disorder, which is categorized as clinical depression. It's got specific criteria and signs and symptoms. And then we have these other options where we have postpartum depression, psychotic depression, dysthymia, which is also called persistent depressive disorder. And these all have different significance um, in relation to symptoms and duration, etc. And so treatment for these might look different. And the duration of these might look different. And the presentation of this might look different. But what we can what we've done within the clinical setting is we've created kind of a, a criteria and section for diagnosis so that we can understand it and know how to treat 
treat it better. And so from a wellness model perspective, which is most therapists would say they practice from a wellness model, we're looking at diagnosis not to put someone in a box, not to label them, but to understand the signs and symptoms of that particular diagnosis so that we have the best information that's going to help us know how to treat it, just like physical health. What I think is so interesting is that in our culture, you know, identifying as depressed or engaging in treatment for depressive symptoms is, again, seen as, you know, maybe shameful or embarrassing. Um, But when we look back to scripture, we see a lot of people that were depressed, right? We see a lot of crying out to the Lord in distress. And there is so many times where this language was just not used, right, in Scripture, but we see the state of humans' souls being desperate and distressed. And that, in some ways, at least for me, as both a therapist and a believer, it allows me to normalize the emotions that I experience and allows me to hold compassion for those that sit across from me um, in the therapy setting. So let's also talk about maybe a more unknown diagnosis, and that would be under the category of a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia. The onset and time, duration, obviously the symptoms such as hallucinations or delusions of any kind, these are very much based within brain chemistry. And so it's really challenging. And I've worked in this field for long enough to sit across from those that struggle with the symptoms of these disorders, and it has got to be the hardest thing. Schizophrenia is one of the top 15 leading causes of disabilities in the world, um, and it has significant prevalence on the way that people live their lives because it can be so impairing. I can't imagine to walk in their shoes, but what I can understand is that we all struggle with something. And so to be able to encourage those that I've worked with and encourage those that maybe don't understand, be educated to go and and research the signs and symptoms to understand what these disorders are and how they come about. I wish I could go into detail, um, but I highly recommend those of you that are interested in learning more to go to the National Institute of Mental Health. They have so much information on there, Um, but I want to keep going, moving through this um, and address yet another diagnosis that's pretty popular, which is anxiety or anxiety disorders of any kind. Anxiety, obviously, is a very popular diagnosis, and we all feel anxious at times, but there is specifics, again, with what kind of anxiety we have. Oftentimes, it can be mild anxiety or, or situational anxiety. Maybe it's social anxiety, uh, or it can be specific to a phobia or generalized anxiety, right? So we have lots of different variations of this, and it is something that we have to address on a deeper level because anxiety is telling us something. And I will be talking about this in a future episode, but we have to acknowledge that emotions of distress are indications of something. It's valuable data. Emotions tell us something. And so anxiety is one of those diagnoses that I think can be, again, minimized or seen as less important, but it can be crippling. And both having experienced um, this significance of anxiety in my own life and also having dear friends that have, you know, it is not something that we can just brush under the rug and be like, oh, you just, you know, stop being anxious or pray more. These are not helpful terms. And so when we come to the Lord and we come into contact with other image bearers, we can understand that anxiety is a real thing. And sometimes it's got deep 
deep roots um, in trauma or deep roots in significant events in our story. And so that tells us something. It tells us to go back and dig in and find support and treatment for that. So the final thing I want to address in this section of just kind of understanding different diagnoses is the prevalence of suicide. And I talked briefly about this in my first episode, but I want to give some detailed information. As we have learned in the many initiatives in our culture today on suicide awareness and prevention, there are many contributors that lead to suicidality. If you are listening to this right now and you have struggled or are currently struggling um, with thoughts of suicide, I want to encourage you to hold on to this one truth, and it is that your life matters and that in desiring pain to be gone or absent, it does not make you less faithful. It does not make you less loved or seen by God. I get from a deep level, both professionally and personally, the deep agony of certain feelings and certain emotions and certain circumstances. And I I sit in it pretty frequently with people. And if there's one thing that I pray that we all can hold on to, it is that one day hope does come. One day Jesus does return. And so in going back to just the understanding of suicide in general, be educated. If you have loved ones, um, I encourage you to look at the signs to consider asking the hard questions when you see emotions. And for those of you that are struggling, I encourage you to seek out support and communicate with someone that's safe So now that we've addressed maybe an onslaught of um, topics that relate to mental illness, I want to discuss treatment and the stigma surrounding treatment, specifically medication treatment, um, but also give a little bit more education on this side and then bring it back to the heart of God. So let's talk about the treatment options and the stigma surrounding treatment. I, I don't understand why in our culture today, there's still such a significant um, stigma surrounding medication management and um, treatment options, even just counseling in general. There's so many evidence-based practices now, yet there still seems to be these pockets of um, misunderstanding, misinterpretation of education, and therefore vastly uh, unfortunate perspectives on treatment. And so Uh, I would love to share just a few things that I believe will help us in our understanding not only as individuals maybe needing support, but also in the way that we view it for other people, loved ones in our lives, etc. You know, unfortunately, the belief that medication is unbiblical has a pretty high stigma attached to it. But within my work and my ministry collectively, I have seen so much pain from what has been said that if you take medication, you have a lack of faith, etc. This is not true, you know. And and what I think is the problem is that people judge things they don't understand. And I'm not saying that um, spiritual practices don't help. There is high correlation from scientific research seen with spirituality and well-being, and we see that. But it's not the only thing. It's like saying fight cancer without medical treatment, right? We're not dismissing prayer and God's power by obtaining support through medical advancements. 
using all resources that are available to us. It may help to clarify, too, the function and intent of medication regarding mental health. And I'm absolutely no expert on this, so I'm just giving some of the information that I have learned over the years that I think could be helpful. Because we have to clarify terms, right? First, emotional distress is not singularly a brain chemical issue. In addition to our individual biology, which plays a massive part, we also have adverse experiences that affect the brain and overall emotional functioning, right? So we have to look at all of this. Emotional distress is complex with severe contributors, such as one's environment, genes, family system, interpersonal interactions, interpersonal experiences, the list could go on and on, but medication management is a form of treatment to support an individual's coping abilities. And whenever I talk about medication management with clients, I always say, you know, find a doctor or psychiatrist, but this is for the support of the mental health treatment and therapy. And so most of the time you will see medication and therapy of some kind, and they work hand in hand. You know, brain science teaches us that increased amounts of stress in the brain decrease the brain's ability to regulate emotions effectively. This is just science, right? And in some cases, these changes in the brain can cause structural changes. The Treatment and Advocacy Center explains that opponents of certain medications misunderstand research. They argue that brain changes prove mental health drugs are dangerous. On the contrary, structural brain changes result from medication from a brain disorder and are associated with their effectiveness. If we don't produce enough chemicals and we're allowing medication to help us regulate and produce those chemicals, it's going to be effective for us in our coping ability. But ultimately, I hope in so many ways that the church can begin to learn the function and purpose of mental health medications so that the members of the body may be better supported and encouraged in seeking wellness and balance in their lives. This is what we always go back to. It's balance. So do I think that taking a prescribed medication is a moral issue? No, I don't. But that is an individual conviction, right? And unfortunately, we have lots of opinions on this that get thrown around. And so I encourage those of you that are considering this or looking into it to really just be prayerful, honestly, and look at, you know, what will give me balance in my life so that I can be, um, the most effective for God's kingdom. And sometimes therapy is hard and we need the extra encouragement of mental health medications to balance out our coping abilities, to regulate our brain chemistry and support us in the process of healing. And so this is my encouragement to those of you that are looking into medication management, that are looking into treatment options, whether that be therapy or medication for just support. So what does this all mean in light of God's heart for us? And something that I think I go back to frequently is when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And what I see in this passage and subsequent passages throughout scripture about the heart of God is that he longs for us to come to him with any of our brokenness. And one author says it best. He says that the prerequisite for coming to Jesus is that we are labored and heavy laden, that we are weak and in need. And 
if I've learned anything and that I continue to learn is that my state of humanity, my broken emotions, my challenges in life push me to Jesus, right? They encourage me to find a rest that only my soul can find in Christ. And this is a hard practice, but it is something that allows me to see suffering in such a different light because it's a reminder that I'm in need of Jesus and a reminder that what is broken will one day um, come to fruition. One day, one day will be healed. So finally, in understanding all of these things, I hope that we can be better equipped to support and offer support to one another. As the family of God, we are called to bear with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2, and carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. By no means does this place the responsibility of others' choices on our shoulders, but it invites us to be an active participant in supporting the work of healing for others' hearts and the hearts of those around us, or maybe even for our own heart. As a Christian counselor, I encourage my friends and families, you you could ask them, they will tell you, I'm always telling them to go see a counselor. I think everybody should have a therapist. Um, And find someone that you trust and that encourages you to take time to name your pain, to access healing through various forms of treatment and support. And also, there are many, many groups online, locally. Um, There are so many options for collective healing as humans. The most meaningful way where we can personally support someone in our life who may be struggling is to just be with them. And so I pray that we will learn to listen and love others well. And lastly, if you personally are struggling or if you know someone that is, please reach out to those in your circle and ask for support. Also, the suicide prevention hotline that that I've mentioned in other episodes is 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8255. So that being said, I want to pray over this time and for those of you listening today. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us and that you call us to come to you when we are weak and heavy laden. I thank you that in our brokenness as humans, we are not seen as rejected by you, but we are cherished by you. Lord, I pray for healing over hearts and souls that are breaking for the losses and the pain of this lifetime. We know that Suffering will not compare to what we will have with you in eternity. And so our souls long for the redemption of our bodies. So let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Lord, let us be reminded of your faithfulness in the midst of our brokenness. And use our stories with the struggle and the pain that we each experience uniquely to glorify you. Thank you for heaven's hope and redemption's guarantee in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Reframe, the Power Perspective podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and drop a comment. To access more content and to join my monthly email list for the latest episode info, visit my website at carlymarkulier.com. Reframed, The Power of Perspective is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed Carly's episode today, we would love it if you left the show a rating and review in your favorite podcast app. It really does help more people like you find the show. This podcast was produced by me, 
Kelly Givens and Stephen Sanders, with executive oversight by Stephen McGarvey. To find more faith-filled, encouraging podcasts like this one, just head over to lifeaudio.com. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.